Warning, Star Trek from the holodeck contains adult language and discussions. If you're easily offended, do not continue to listen. Walk it alone! Fire! Holodeck 3 program is reinstated. Open sesame! Commander Klingon vessel. We are energizing transport of him. Now. Hello, welcome everyone to Star Trek from the Holodeck. This is the Lower Decks edition, and I am Michael Flores, the captain, on the bridge with my ensign at the helm. Hello, David. Hey, everybody. All right, so today, you and I, Dave, are going to be discussing the first season finale for Lower Decks, episode 10 of season one, titled No Small Parts. That's what I tell the ladies when they first meet me. Yeah. Do you think Deanna Troy would tell me I'm trying to overcompensate? Dude, that was so awesome. That was so awesome. Yeah, it was good. All right, so this episode directed by Barry J. Kelly and written by the man himself, Mike McMahon. The synopsis, the USS Cerritos encounters a familiar enemy. One of the the ones I've hated the most in TNG, and I'm so glad to see them get blown up. We are strong. We are strong. Make us go. Shut the hell up. <laughs> I hated them when I was a kid watching that episode. I'm like, Jordy, they kidnapped your ass. Punch them. <laughs> I know. I know. When, I, when they brought in these aliens, I was going, oh, God, they brought in the most pathetic aliens. Oh, my God. They're really nasty. What the hell? <laughs> I'm surprised no one ever complained. Maybe they did because they're obviously mentally handicapped. Like, that's... <laughs> So what's your inspirations for the, what what are, the, what are their names? The Padlex? Padlex. Is it Padlex? Is that what it is? I don't remember their names because I hate them so much. <laughs> you wanted to forget them. I believe it's the Padlex. I believe you're right, Dave. Maybe you can look that up for me so I don't look so Yep, that's what I'm doing right now. But I remember, you know, thinking even as a child, I'm like, did you really just create aliens that are essentially handicapped they're they're mentally retarded <laughs> they're like, autistic so what's your inspiration for the padlex like, like whoever wrote that episode well you know i have a i have a i have a, a brother uh, <laughs> that uh, he drools all over himself there was an accident when he was younger he never quite recovered uh, so i figured the padlex uh, mentally handicapped impaired a bit uh, they're obsessed with being smart and they're obviously not and they want to go because they never will go anywhere <laughs> and, in life. And they want you to fix their problems. Right. So, um, all right. Well, let's go to print this up and put it into the final draft of the script. I think this is good. Mentally handicapped aliens. Aliens. That are the villains. <laughs> yes. Let's do it. And they, hand, and they, <laughs> I get the idea or I get the point that they had. Cause I believe in that episode, they weren't really slow. They were yeah. just not smart enough to do their own things. They wanted to, I, I believe their culture was obsessed with being strong and they wanted to evolve much faster than their species yes. was actually evolving. Yeah. They, they and basically Picard had told them you need to be patient, that you will get where you need to be 
when your species is ready. Yeah, but yeah. the problem was they didn't want to wait, and so they would steal and scavenge from other Yeah, they're other basically races. cavemen. If cavemen were, let's say the Neanderthals, let's say they were walking around not as smart as, you know, us homo sapiens, and they see all of our high-tech iPhones, and they're like, shit, we can't make that. Let's just steal it. Yes. That's essentially what the padlecks are. And and I did look it up. It's pack leads. Pack leads. Pack leads? Yeah, pack leads. All right. All right. So here we are, Dave, at the season finale of Lower Decks. And I can truthfully say that this is the most sincere. There's no hyperbole here. <laughs> this is the most sincere rendition of Trek during this new era. I don't see how you can argue it. I don't see how people on YouTube are still bitching and moaning. It almost feels like some of these YouTube stars that have lots of listeners rely on negativity in order to get likes and comments and people to view because controversy usually breeds ratings, right? Yes, that's what that's what the old saying is. is because controversy, uh, controversy brings in uh, brings in the numbers. Imagine if Nerdbot. One of the biggest trolls on YouTube. Yeah, I just called him out. Sorry, Nerdbot. You're a troll, dude. Your entire <laughs> YouTube channel is dedicated to just bitching. That's it. It is. It I mean, is. that's all it is, is bitching and moaning and complaining. I would challenge Nerdbot to do a positive review, an objective review on Lower Decks. I think because he, I don't think he could do it. it no, because, because it does, goes against the grain. He, and he doesn't want to be truthful because if you took an honest, objective look at lower decks, there is no way in fucking hell you can say this sucks. Honestly, the, the only reason why the, and, you know, the only reason I I believe why there are Star Trek fans out there that still hate lower decks is they're still burnt out from Picard. They are. Yes, and I understand that. And also, they're filled with disappointment about other things. What What's that old thing? First impressions? Yeah. And the first two episodes were a little weak. But they weren't bad, though. No, and, I, and it looks like word is getting out. Word of mouth has been positive. So if you look at the ratings across the board... On IMDb, Rotten Tomatoes, all the go-to places, just like our rating system here on the RMD network, every episode, the ratings get higher and higher and higher. Yeah. So I'm hoping eventually the negativity that's still out there, that's done by people who are not giving the show a chance now, or they watch the first episode and said, yeah, it sucks, and they tune in to NerdBot or some other troll, and they just comment, yeah, it sucks, it sucks. And they haven't really actually sat down to watch any of the later episodes. The funny part is when you look at the ratings itself, I mean, Lord X came in around 45, 35%, mm -hmm. right? Right. And it steadily has gone <laughs> up at least past 65 now. And yeah. then when it started at 40, uh, uh, 40, I think it was like 40% users like on Google hate this uh, or like this series. <laughs> right. Yeah. It went up to 81 now. Yeah. So. And this episode on IMDb last I checked was 9.7. Yeah. Out this of 10. Was, you know, I can finally say <laughs> this. I can finally say this. I know you're waiting. I know. Because this is my favorite <laughs> episode and this is the best episode of the entire series. Well, without a doubt, this is one of the best episodes or if not the best episode of the season. But not only that, Dave, I do. 
believe that this might be the best rendition of Trek. Lower Decks as a whole might be one of the... Oh, man, I loved... I do like Discovery Season 2. But But here's the thing. But I feel like in its truest sense, when you look at what Star Trek is and everything that it encompasses, optimism, fun, science, intrigue, exploration... Lower Decks has all of it. Yeah. I mean, it's fun. It's filled with optimism. And it also poses questions and questions their own actions as well. Yeah. It does the philosophical Star Trek uh, questions to the to the T. And they don't have to go into like these long drawn out monologues of philosophy. All they really have to do is just pose a question. And that's it. It could be like two seconds. Well, two that's, seconds. That's all you really have time to do in a show that is that, 20 minutes long. It has a running time under 30 minutes. I don't expect them to give us TOS or TNG or Deep Space Nine era type philosophy. We don't have time for it. We, we don't. I get that. But if you can find those opportune moments to briefly pose questions then you're churning out a proper Trek series. Yeah. And for me, specifically this episode, but we can also, I think a lot of our, our, our banter tonight, Dave is probably going to encompass lower decks as a whole, because this is the season finale as well. But when you take a look at the entire package, this is top notch Trek. That ending with captain Freeman, when she tells Mariner, that she needs someone like her to balance things out. And Mariner questions Starfleet's inactions, saying you can't expect someone to do the right thing, leave them alone, and expect them to do the right thing generations later. Which, the reason why that was so perfect for me, because it validates many of the things Berman and Pillar and Iris Stephen Burr and Ronald D. Moore were working on, and even moving to some of the darker elements of Picard. It validates that the Federation has moved so far and fast that they tend to have forgotten certain things, that they were so focused on doing the right thing and plowing forward through the galaxy, exploring that they're not stopping to look at the things they're dropping behind. Yes. Not saying it's a flawed government, not saying they're bad people, just saying, hey, Take a beat. And the fact that she says that Mariner, this is Mike McMahon understanding exactly what Berman was doing in this era. Sometimes there needs to be a restructuring of ideals, a reminder, which is something Starfleet needs. Mike McMahon even used the original series Trek episode, the return of Archons. Is that how you say that Archons? I think it's Archon. Okay, we'll say Archons. We'll go with that. You see Arch Ons? Arch Ons. I don't remember. But he, Mike McMahon uses that classic episode from the original series with Landrew to express this idea further. Yeah. If you remember, Landrew was that mytho-historical leader of the Badens, of Beta 3, yes. which we saw at the opening of this episode, where they dealt with this society, a leader that time was a... Was a Hold on. The leader at that time was a gifted engineer and philosopher, which was Landrew. He believed the way to preserve his people was to take them back to a time of peace and tranquility. 
He sought to end war, crime, disease, all of the evils that plagued his world and to produce the unity of good. A world without hate, without fear, without conflict. This is essentially the Federation. Yeah. That was a direct statement about where the current Federation is at. This is right at the end of the Dominion War. This is right around the time of insurrection when the villain of insurrection straight up told Picard, you are a weakened government. Government. You are reeling still from the destruction uh, brought on by the Borg and the Dominion War. These are things that were also a part of Picard. The reason why Starfleet and the Federation chose to not help the Romulan individuals and essentially pushed Picard out. The idea which started in Trek, TNG Trek, with the concept of the Bajorans and the Cardassians, the problem with the Federation was there. And it's not something that the Kurtzman era started. A lot of people say, oh, look at Kurtzman's destroying Starfleet and the Federation. And this is what we've talked about on many shows on before. On many, many shows. Berman and Pillar started this with Gene Roddenberry years prior with the introduction of the Bajorans and the Cardassians in TNG. And they fleshed out this idea further in Deep Space Nine and Voyager. Yeah. So it's no surprise that McMahon then mentions through a lens of humor and uses this Starfleet truther, which I thought was fucking hilarious, to mention key elements that added to the weakening of the Federation. Wolf 359, the Dominion War, changelings. They're reminding us of all of these things in a very comedic way. Yeah. So you see Mike McMahon's strategy behind that simple dialogue exchange between Mariner and Freeman, you're dealing with a 25-minute show, 28-minute show, and yet they managed to bring a nuance of substance to the forefront to of the a forefront. Star Trek show. And, and within that really tight frame of 20 minutes, I mean, honestly, yeah, it's about 30 minutes. Each episode could be argued to be about 30 minutes long. But in, in reality, their narrative is probably only given about like 20 minutes time to get there. And it's amazing when we actually see when, when we step back and we actually just look at the episodes and look at the story writing that is happening. You, I, I believe people should actually really give a lot of props to Mike McMahon for for being able to write a narrative, a solid Star Trek narrative within this tight frame that he was able to do because I'm going to start the ball rolling here because okay. apparently Picard couldn't do it in an hour. <laughs> yeah. Laura Dex was able to do something within 20 minutes that Picard failed every single episode you're right. To the very end. Yeah. <laughs> and the reason why, Dave, is because Picard created a story that wouldn't make sense if they drew parallels to the past. Yeah. But what Picard did is they wanted to forget the past and kind of not remind us of everything that happened before. For some reason, they did that. I don't know why. The writers seem to have a very narrow sight of the Star Trek universe in Picard. And because they weren't using elements that 
they could have used to establish a more um, authentic feel to the world of Picard. They didn't choose to do that. And without getting into a negative tirade here, the reason yeah. why they had a narrow vision is because they probably don't understand Star Trek. Yeah. Whereas you have Mike, Ma- Mike McMahon here start this episode out on a planet that we're all familiar with, use it to then make a statement. And then the subsequent sequences that follow are designed to remind us, to remind us of the era we, we are in, the things that happened. You have Mariner being a rogue, essentially trying to do good. The captain noticing and realizing that sometimes Star Trek protocols can always be followed and that she needs an officer like this, like this. because Starfleet and the Federation at times can grow stale. That's the entire point. There you go. And that that's the, the one thing that I wrote down that I'm like going, it took Picard so many episodes to try to get that point across about the yeah. about the federation and mike mcmahon was able to do it with one episode man it's because dave he is a star trek fan you know and that's people, what it, you know how people always say that dave like i'm a star trek fan My, you know shea ban went around saying that other people have gone around wearing saying that. his star trek shirts uh, right <laughs> and i'm like dude guess what man like it's one episode into your show and I uh, and I and I can tell you don't really understand Star Trek. You might have watched a handful of episodes. You might have been a Patrick Stewart fan. Mike McMahon. Understand Star Trek, understand Star Trek, and not because he's he's whipping his Star Trek dick out and hitting us over the head with it. With a bunch of nostalgia. Yes, yeah, sure. This is a comedy, so there's going to be. You know, instances where we can use the the fine art of parody to get to drive home a point. But all the pieces of evidence, he makes a statement, then he uses his knowledge of Star Trek to then substantiate the statement made by Mariner. Yes. That is fantastic. I mean, this was actually a smart episode. It was. And it's not on the nose. You have to understand Trek to see what is at work here. The average viewer is probably not going to catch on to what to everything that Mike McMahon is doing, and all the magic he's doing. And that's fine. It, is, it has nothing to do with intelligence. It has to do with your immersive, how immersed you are, I should say, within the world of Trek. And, world and of Trek. I see it all because I am completely immersed in all facets of Trek. So I see exactly what he's doing. And and the one thing that impressed me a lot down to the very end was not only does he understand the universe, but he understands the characters within that universe. What? I mean, the way he wrote Riker in this particular episode in the season finale. And you parallel it with how Shaban wrote yeah. Riker in the season finale of Picard. It's night and day. Right. You understand that you can see that Mike McMahon understands this character and he gets gets that character down to Riker's core. Not just that, though, Dave, because you are right. Understands Riker. But, you know, what he also understands, he understands what we want to see as fans. Yes, as fans. And yes, I'm not an advocate of writers listening to fans and saying, what do you guys want? 
is usually we don't know what we want for the most part. Yeah. And I'm using, you know, we to combine the fandom. Most of the fandom don't truly understand what they want. They think they want something, but you give it to them exactly as they asked. And it's probably going to be shitty because we're not, well, I am, but again, as the fandom, they're not writers. Yes. So they don't know what actually would work. They're also not in the writing room. They don't know the concept. They don't know things. So I hate when showrunners and writers of TV shows listen to the fandom. But if you, John Worth said this to me, uh, one of the greatest showrunners, in my opinion, he said, you don't need to talk to the fans when you're working within a genre piece or something that has a large fan base. You don't need to talk to them to know what they want. Yes. Because if you know how to do your job the right way, you're already in tune with them. With them. Yeah. You already are in tune. And if you're not, then you better find another writing job. You should not be writing on that show. If you don't know what your audience wants and they're hating you, it's because you shouldn't be in that writing room. Not because you should listen to them. Has nothing to do with listening. Has to do with understanding the show. The show and the genre. And 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 that has those words, dude, have has resonated. That was he told me that I want to say four years ago. And ever since he said that to me. I, I've, I've spoken to him numerous times. He's a friend of mine. And when I think of him, John Worth, his name, and the shows he's worked on, that's the one statement that continues to stand out because it's so fucking true. You don't need to listen. You don't need to talk. You don't even need to listen. He's all, if you're the right man for the job, you already know. You are them. You're in tune. Yeah. And Mike McMahon is that. He is one of us. He is one he of us. He is in tune. I mean, the fact of Mero is just understanding the world of Star Trek. And it's more than just basically fan service. Like, if it was just fan service that McMahon was doing, you'd get similar vibes that we get in Discovery when they do their Easter eggs and all that stuff. Right. But McMahon uses the 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 quote unquote Easter eggs or the references in Lower Decks to push his narrative forward. Right. And like, I'm sorry. The fact that he was able to bring in the Titan. Yeah. And I'll I'll be honest, probably about eighty percent of Star Trek fans don't even know who what the Titan is, which is amazing to me. It's the ship that Riker <laughs> that Riker gets. After the Enterprise. And I believe it was mentioned, if my memory serves me right, it's been a while. It was actually mentioned by name in Nemesis. Yeah. Yes. In the the final TNG movie. And like to to actually use that reference, but to use it so that he can push his narrative of Boimler actually leaving leaving the Cerritos because he gets a promotion. Which, dude, next year is going to be a thing. We're going to get into that at the end of the show, but Mike Mike McMahon, I guess everybody was excited over Riker the Titan. I mean, who would it be, right? Who would it be? Uh, so Mike McMahon uh, had an interview after the season finale, and we'll talk about the finer details of that interview towards the end of the show, but next season, Riker's going to be a part of it. Yeah. Which I, dude, who would have thought that we would have a fucking show with Riker back in it, even in a cartoon form? Who gives a shit? Oh, yeah. As long as you can deliver us a true rendition of Riker in a, through a comedic lens, it'll work. 
And that's why this show has continued to work because, yes, it's a comedy, but that doesn't mean you throw out all your understanding of Trek. You can still make it feel like Trek and be funny. Yeah. And I will. I wasn't really ready to go there yet, but you took us there, Dave. So I'll, I'll, I'll go down that hole with you. Okay. The Titan showing up was amazing. It was. And when Boim, I've never considered myself a fanboy. I consider myself a fan of, of TV and TV shows. I grew up with Star Trek. Does that make me a fanboy? I don't know. Maybe I just don't want to be considered that. But Dave, when Boimler yelled out, it's the Titan. <laughs> that was literally all of us. Oh, yeah. That, and the way he did it, it was sheer, like, joy. It was a squee. It, it, that was every Trek nerd squeeing all over the place. Because the way he said it, it was even high-pitched. Yeah. Like, it's the Titan! <laughs> like, he couldn't believe his luck. Yeah. And I rewound that scene probably, no joke. Dave, I probably rewound it 15 times because when he screamed Titan, I screamed Titan. <laughs> so I was laughing even harder because holy shit, I'm a, I'm Boimler. I'm a fucking nerd. Finally, after them talking about it the entire season and I'm not going to lie, the ending, that moment brought some tears of nerd joy to my eyes. Oh, absolutely. I, I found myself tearing up at a sheer geekiness. I mean, seeing Riker and Troy on the side bridge by side. of the Titan. Yeah. And Fuck, that was, dude, that, that was awesome. That's what Picard should have been. That moment, Dave, where the Titan shows up with the TNG theme playing as he's fucking blowing people up. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, dude, he, they even gave us the TNG theme. Yeah, they gave us the TNG. And, and the amazing thing to me is when you watch that, and I did this, I watched... The Riker Riker appearance in Picard back to back with the Riker appearance in Lower Decks. Lower Decks gets it right. Like it's great seeing Jonathan Franks live, right? Yeah, being being Will Riker, absolutely. Yeah. However, they get everything everything that was missing in the end of Picard with Riker. We get in Lower Decks. We didn't get an action sequence at the end, but yes. we get an action sequence that we should have gotten here in Lower Decks. Yeah. I mean, how the hell did we get everything we wanted in Picard? And we got was, in Lower Decks, David. And the thing was, in Lower Decks, it wasn't just even like used as kind of like this throwaway no. uh, moment like it, like it was in Picard. They actually that action sequence was rather cinematic. Yeah, I felt, like you get the you get the close up shots of Will just looking and basically blasting the the pack uh, the pack led ships apart, and like he him doing the witty banter between him and Troy, and the the Titan just kicking ass. I um. Okay, so the thing I really liked about it, because yes, can you say, oh, this is fan service, Mike McMahon's cheating because he's using, you guys are talking about this as Trek, but all he's doing is giving you fan service and but that's why you it, like it. He's using it properly. It, it, right, because the idea of the Titan has been built into the, the narrative of the show and part of Boimler's storyline since episode one. Yes. 
So it wasn't like, hey, guys, we're going to throw the Titan in. There has been numerous references to the Titan. To the Titan. There's been numerous references to uh, the Enterprise crew uh, and Mariner's not so overly stated connection to the Enterprise crew. So him showing up, Riker, with the Titan, yes, it was... You can say it was fan service, but it was also fan service done right. It was done because right. Because it pushes the plot forward. Yeah. It was something that was built into the overarching myth arc of the season. And it's going to be an ongoing part of season two as well. Part of Boimler's, one of our lead characters story. So all of it makes perfect sense. The entire show, when it comes to Boimler's angle, has been about his can-do overachieving I want to get promoted attitude so the fact that that's what happened and he got the ship of his dreams yeah sure it's fan service but it also pushes the plot forward it pushes the plot forward so, it, so when we are here talking like Star Trek nerds and we're so happy that Mike McMahon gave us exactly what we wanted again it's not that he cheated and he gave us what we wanted. He had embedded it into his story so it would make sense. And it, and on top of that, it it reinforces the 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 one narrative, the story arc that they've been trying to sh- say that the crew of the Cerritos and the Cerritos itself is the lowest class ship there is. That you know, while the crew is all lovable and we like Captain Freeman, we like the crew. Their ship is considered bottom rung. Right. Titan shows up. That's basically like it's it's similar with the storytelling they did in one episode where they showed the lower decks D class crew versus the 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 B class when they did that mm-hmm. when they yeah. when they showed that the can, uh, Delta shift the Delta yeah. shift yeah and it shows that divide that basically hey those guys are all. I hate to say it, lower class citizens. They're mm-hmm. they're 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 bottom of the rung. Boimler, the whole story of Boimler, it didn't even hit me till it happened because I'm like going, oh my god, the whole season Boimler's been trying to be to, to get that promotion. Was the one thing he was trying to impress the it's captain the, with? His entire story arc has been completely consistent. Completely consistent. And then yeah. you get to this. And I love that it 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 comes at a point when Boimler and Mariner reach this apex in their character arc together, where Mariner they climax together, <laughs> kind of. But you get to the point that basically Mariner and Boimler are like their their character arcs intertwine with each other, and basically now they're they're considered a pair but now you throw in this thing where boimler's main story arc was to get promoted which means he gets away from mariner it's, now right dude it and and he, dude that oh, scene man, it's, that it's scene good, in the dude. end when he's he's on the titan he has this awesome like cadet quarters now that he's always been dreaming about because i even remember like when the one episode when uh, Mariner gets promoted, right? Because Freeman tries to uh, burn her out and promote her to a lieutenant and gives her lieutenant quarters. And Boimler is gushing over the quarters that Mariner gets. And then we get to the very end and he gets those quarters. 
and suddenly he's in this he's he's in his dream scenario where hey i got promoted i got yeah. I, I got what i wanted and he did it the right way that was the best part at the end of it boimler did it the right way he didn't cheat he didn't do anything he just did what he had to do at the best of his abilities and it took Riker looking at him going hey you're like Ransom's been saying you're like the best at this, best at this. I think you would actually work pretty well with us. Yeah. <laughs> he ends up getting taken to the tight. Yeah, man, it's it's good. And that's why this show is is quite an achievement, in, in my is. opinion, because not only did we have all the fun moments and the the must-needed Trek aspects, but then he did such a great job with the more intimate moments. Uh, bringing Mariner and Captain Freeman together finally by the end, realizing that they need to work together in order to get the job done, working together to get, you know, is a risk breaking protocol. It's the whole rogue effect. Hey, listen, everybody needs a Kirk, right? Yeah. Uh, Boimler gets his dream job, which has been a very consistent through line since day one for Boimler. Uh, Tendi and Rutherford get to become best friends all over again. Yeah, and I think that that's that's interesting because Rutherford had like this really great story arc, but then by doing this, he's literally reverted back to zero now. Yeah, it's uh, it's Spock, dude. It's Spock after being resurrected. Being resurrected, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And like, it's interesting, man. That it's- whole that whole scenario with Rutherford, I'm like going, oh my god, that's so Trek. The character comes back to life, so to speak. And he's back to being, you know, like he has to learn everything all over again. Yeah. After a major character death. Where, yeah. Which, I mean, that's another thing. Shaq's. Shaq's sacrifice. Shaq's died, which, I mean, dude, he's so good. That was awesome. It was such a great death scene, too. So even we even had a death of the crew. And it doesn't end. That's why this show's good, because the little thing. It's the little thing. We also learn about Ransom's insecurities, which is some also has been a through line for his character since since the very first episode. He's had this very egocentric mentality, and you find a way to make Deanna Troy matter. <laughs> she wasn't just a background. Hey guys, fan service, Deanna Troy sitting side by, you know, sitting right next to Riker. Side by side, Riker and Deanna Troy, right? Yeah. Well, let's also give her a reason to be here. Okay, have her be the one that states the obvious so we can get that last bit for Ransom at the end. Yeah. About his insecurities. So, and yeah, it's fun, but that's how you bring merit to these characters. Yeah. That's how you validate these story arcs. Well, especially with Ransom, you don't have much time to get that with that character. No, and we just need that's all we need. All it's, the all we don't we don't need an elaborate side arc for him. Exactly. Something all we need is very something very simple to make him feel like a real character and to remind us that he's here. That's yeah. it. Yeah. And even like his his interaction with uh uh, Mariner and Captain Freeman when it's found out that they're mother and daughter he suddenly is like uh, really nervous that whole scene in the captain's quarters when Ransom is talking to both of them oh, that was hilarious, had dude. me laughing dude, on the ground dying. because it was like 
you can tell that Ransom is actually turned on by Mariner. Oh, they've always had an attraction. <laughs> they to had each an other. attraction yeah. to that, and now that finding out it's the captain's daughter, yeah, just made his insecurities come out even more. And I'm like, going, that was so funny. That, it was funny. It was smart because it it, it continued. It basically added depth to that character, and there's consistency. Yeah, it's not just hey, we introduced that aspect where Mariner was checking Ransom out when he was shirtless fighting people on that planet. And, oh yeah, and also Ransom was into Mariner at one point. They're bringing it all back. They're reminding us of things that they set up, and that just creates a much needed consistency. And I think that's the 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 magic word for tonight's discussion: consistency. consistency. Something Picard could have benefited from. Yeah. With a little bit of consistency. And not just in the show, but just understanding the world of Trek. I mean, give me warp in the factor of five, six, seven, eight. eight. Holy <laughs> fuck, that was amazing. That was awesome. He has his own thing now. Yeah. And it made sense too because that character is it's so the jazz stuff. It's yeah. the jazz stuff Jeez. that's so infamous with him. Yeah. And it brings it right you know full circle with that i'm like going, thank you the th- one thing that as a star trek fan of the pre-kurtzman stuff i've loved all the books on the titan with Riker as captain because we got to see will after uh the oh look at you first name basis will <laughs> but we got to it's see commander that Riker it's commander to Riker. <laughs> But I'm part of his band, I swear. <laughs> I, I play the trombone. <laughs> so stupid. But it, it, it's the one thing that all Star Trek fans of that series have been wanting Star Trek to actually bring in, which is all the Titan stuff. And Well, for years. For that's years. What, even after TNG ended and the Nemesis came out. That's been the thing. Like, oh, can thing. we get a Nemesis series? Let's get a Nemesis series. And then, like, and finally, it took Lower Decks to put Titan into canon. Yeah. You realize that it took that long to well, actually get to see the Titan ship? was technically canon. Technically. We just have never seen We've it. We've never seen it. This yeah. is the first appearance of the Titan. Yeah. And actually, the you first know what? I don't. Of- what design is this? Because we've never even seen. I know there were numerous designs for the Titan, and they were used. Various different ones were used for the books. But you know, I probably should have looked that up. I'm actually pretty curious to find out what design they actually went with. Actually, that is one of the things I wrote. In was the it notes the first like- rendition, or was it the numerous? Because there was like five or six different versions that oh, they the had Titan? toyed with. Yeah. In fact. Wasn't the Titan supposed to be in Nemesis? It was. At one point, it, it was cut. cut. It got cut out. That's right. Hey, let me look it up really fast. Because you and I actually had discussed this recently on a show. I don't know if it was a, an episode of uh, from our Picard discussion or if it was a Patreon exclusive show. I'm not sure. But do you remember we had talked about it? We get, we actually went in pretty depth into detail or depth. Of the type of ship and everything. Yeah. That's what I'm looking up right now. And like. That's one of the things that I kept reviewing. Because I wanted to actually know. What kind of class that ship was. Because 
I'll be honest, I haven't seen that type of ship. It looks completely different. It looks like a cross between the Enterprise and the Cerritos. So there's canon and non-canon. Let's just get into it really fast, even though we've already discussed this in a show. Yeah. All right. So. All right. And 2379, newly promoted Captain William Riker became the commanding officer of the USS Titan. Um, here, give me a second here. And so stupid. In 23, it's already here. In 2380, Ensign Fletcher was promoted and briefly assigned to the Titan. Within six <laughs> days, he had been demoted and fired for dumping garbage into the Titan's warp core. <laughs> That's amazing that this, they've already put this into the canon pages. Oh, I did. love these people, dude. Uh, I, you know what? We might need to do a. Okay, here it is. In the original script for Star Trek Nemesis, Wesley Crusher was to explain at the wedding scene that he was being assigned to the Titan under the command of William Riker. On the Titan, he became the assistant chief engineer with the rank of lieutenant commander. In a filmed but deleted scene, Crusher mentions he is on the night shift and that the Titan was equipped with a double refracting warp core matrix with ten with twin intermixed chambers. So that's how the Titan was described in canon. In Nepenthe, episode of Ready Room, uh, that week's trivia question stated the USS Titan was a Luna-class starship named after the moon of Saturn. Yeah. And Et in Argo, Cardia Ego, Part 1, Ready Room episode, Prop Master Jeff Lombardi stated a photograph of Jean-Luc Picard and Thaddeus Troy Riker was taken aboard the Titan. While mentioned in Star Trek Nemesis remastered TNG, an early episode of Star Trek Lower Decks, the Titan wasn't seen on screen until no smart parts. Okay, yeah. But I don't... All we knew was that it was a... We didn't know anything. We didn't know anything. We, re- we didn't even know what class of ship it was. So, until guess, recently. Until recently, we just knew that it had a double refracting warp core matrix with twin intermixed chambers. And if you if you look at the picture that's on the memory alpha of the Titan... It really does look like a cross between the Enterprise and the Cerritos. Like, you have the designs of the double, um, the double warp, uh, warp cores yeah. from the Enterprise, but it has the, the saucer shape of the Cerritos. Yeah, it's a snazzy looking ship. I'll say that. And dude, that, that's why I said is like, I'm God, really so good. I'm really impressed that Mike McMahon was able to do something that we all were feeling that Picard should have done. Now, Dave, do you think he had a lot more free reign because this is a cartoon? Because I have to think that that there's some things they probably wouldn't want him to get into if this was a live action. I think because... And that's another thing he has going for him. And maybe that's another another reason why he's able to do so well with this show is because he doesn't, he's not, his feet aren't tied. You know, his hands aren't tied. He can essentially do what he wants. Who knows? Here's the thing though. We all, uh, everyone has felt that was worried that Mike McMahon's hands would have been tied with this, but in all honesty, it doesn't seem like that was an issue. And 
you could even look at it from Picard's point of view. Was there a hands tied? Not really. It really does come down to the creative mind behind the series. Yeah. Shabon versus McMahon. McMahon is like what you said. I fully feel that McMahon is a fan. He's, he loves Star Trek. He knows Star Trek. Shaban is a writer first bef- before he's a fanboy. Right. And I honestly feel that Shaban lo- came into this thinking that I don't care about what was set before me. I want to set my own precedent. Well, that's the problem with a lot of um, people like him. There's a sense of arrogance that they don't want to be beheld by what came before. They're going to do their own thing because they want to make their own name and not rely on what came before. Yeah. That's a bit of an ego. Whereas Mike McMahon probably looked at this as an honor and a privilege. Like, fuck. Yes. I get to do some Star Trek. He wasn't bigger than the project. It, at times, it felt like Shaban, the showrunner of Picard, just felt like he was bigger than the project. So, all right, Dave, let's go to a very quick break. And then when we get back, we will jump into the rest of our discussions, which includes the Easter eggs of the episodes. If you can pull up that. Got it. We can then go to a break. Energize. Get more Star Trek from the holodeck every single month when you subscribe to our Patreon page. You can get every free show we do with a lot of Star Trek banter. We get into all types of different topics right before we record the regular show, whatever it may be. We usually banter about some Star Trek news, some some thoughts on a recent rewatch but they range from anywhere between 10 to 20 minutes and that's on our behind the scenes tier when you pledge three dollars or more you gain access to that so head over to patreon.com slash digital and pledge i've got faith <laughs> Free stuff is awesome, but free stuff that will spice up your bedroom is even better. Just go to adamandeve.com and select almost any one item for 50% off, and then we'll load on the free stuff. Just enter this very exclusive code, RAINMAN, at checkout, and you'll get 10 tantalizing free gifts, including a sexy item for him, a special toy for her, and a third item you'll both enjoy. And six extra special bonus items that are sure to rev your engine, pique your curiosity, Mm. and even blow you away. Plus, free shipping. Always sent in discreet packaging. Go to adamandeve.com now. Get 50% off plus the 10 free gifts when you enter the exclusive offer code RAINMAN. Again, that's RAINMAN. Because without it, no free stuff. That's RAINMAN at adamandeve.com. Commander Klingon vessel. We are energizing transporter beam. Now. Transporter, stand by. Welcome back, everybody, to Star Trek from the Holodeck, the Lower Decks edition. All right, Dave. I also, something we didn't mention, I laughed my ass off when... Riker walks into the bridge and he says, Oh, I was watching an episode. Damn it. I was going to bring that up. (laughs) And he just says, you know, 
He's oh wait, what did he say? He's like, you know, it's been a long. It was a long road for them getting from there to, to here. here? <laughs> yes, and I was like going, yes. oh, thank you, and dude, I love the joke on the on the theme because that's something you and I always do is we poke fun at the theme. I felt so so validated you know, i was that, giggling but, i watched this with my son and he didn't understand half the things i was laughing he's like why is that funny but, yeah. oh, i feel sorry for you yeah, I feel sorry for but i'm not gonna explain but it dude, to you knowing how enterprise the final <laughs> the final episode of enterprise finishes with Riker in a holodeck talking about how he's watching archer and watching the history of the enterprise and then Flash forward to the lower decks and he comes in, just hops onto the seat and starts talking about how he was in the holodeck. Yeah. Watching Archer. Yep. <laughs> and I'm like going, oh, thank you. You know what? How many- I've never been a big fan of Enterprise, but that, that to me was something important for me as a I Star Trek. I don't hate Trek Enterprise. Fan. I don't hate Enterprise. I'm just not happy with it. I See, I would, I'm not. I'm not unhappy with it either. It's just not my favorite Star Trek. Yeah, it's not my favorite. That, that's probably the better way to say it for but me. It's like listen, it's not my be- it's not my favorite Star Trek. I shipped the hell out of T'Pol and Archer. Or, <laughs> I'm not sorry, not Archer. T'Pol and uh, Tucker. Tucker. Oh, I was all about that. But like, I also shipped myself as well with T'Pol many times. It, what no. See, no. <laughs> okay, Dave. Fine, just ignore my fantasies. You know, fuck you. <laughs> Go ahead. But just seeing that validation, though. It just makes it better with Enterprise. Yeah. I mean, just actually bringing that all in and basically saying, yeah, it's part of canon. You got to live with it type of mentality. And it's kind of like while we have our disagree, while we have our disagreements as fans about Enterprise, being able to say, yes, all that stuff that we saw in Enterprise with T'Pol, Archer, Tucker, the doctor, um, even Data's, even uh, even like, you know, Data's grandfather. All that was validated, basically in lower decks by saying, "Yeah, it's part of canon." This is what Riker was doing, <laughs> and also they were making fun of the way Enterprise ended, which is yes. bullshit. Like the entire thing it was is. a holodeck program. It, it is so fucking lame. <laughs> it is. And that was the only thing that made me angry. It was like, what the <laughs> motherfucker are you doing to me? And in a weird way, this kind of lessens that blow a little because, bit because I'm like going, okay. It would have been funnier if him and Deanna Troy both walked out of the holodeck, and that was the moment. That, that we all were witnessing Enterprise. Enterprise. Was at this moment on Lower Decks. On Lower Decks. <laughs> yeah. And that's kind of like how I felt. It was like, oh my God, this is like right after Enterprise. Even yeah. though, you know, like Troy wasn't in there. Yeah, but, whatever. Yeah, she was at Enterprise. Or she, uh, it was both of them. Oh yeah, that's right. It yeah, was, it was both, both of them. them. All right, Dave, we do need to move on because we're falling behind. We're already close to an hour mark. Do you have those Easter eggs? Yes, I, I do. I posted it in our Discord as well. If you yeah, okay. I have it brought up right here. Okay, go ahead and get into it, buddy. Okay, so we got Easter eggs from TrekMovie.com. Uh, from TOS to Titan, Easter eggs in Star Trek Lower Decks finale. No small parts. Uh, let's just jump right into it. Uh, we touched on it in the very beginning, but they bring up uh, the Landru part with Purging Landru. No mm-hmm. small parts. Began with the visit to Beta 3 from right, Star Trek, yep, the original let's series. Let's skip that one. That's not really an Easter egg. 
Okay. Uh, speaking of TOS and TAS. That was more of a joke. Yes, where they basically talk about like TOS and they say it's the old scientist. That was funny when he said, oh, it's always fun visiting planets from, from the, the TOS, TOS era. era. That's what he said. Yeah. And that then was he, good. He, he goes, he explains as those old scientists name dropping Scotty and Spock. Yeah, but that wasn't an Easter egg. Just let's call these references so I don't have to keep saying that. Okay. Yeah. So the next reference then is the pack lids. Mm-hmm. Uh, the main villains of the episode were the pack lids introduced in Star Trek, the next generation Samaritan snare. Yep. We all remember that. What's the next one? Uh, the next one after that is the exocom, which we haven't covered, which they introduced that exocom member. The latest member of the Cerritos crew was also familiar. Peanut hamper, was a exocom first seen in the Star Trek Next Generation episode, The Quality of Life. Yeah. Which is actually a really important one for the Data storyline, uh, where Data recognized the robotic tools had developed sentience. Yep. Uh, All right, next one. The next one is the Rikers in space. Uh, the biggest return in the episode was Star Trek The Next Generation stars Jonathan Franks and Marina Sirtis, reprising their roles of William Riker and Deanna Troy. In 2002 film star Trek Nemesis, Riker and Troy were married and he was given the command of the USS Titan. Franks has joked at conventions that he had pitched a comedy called The Rikers in Space, featuring the pair on the USS Titan in a way he has gotten his wish on Lord Dex. Yep. And if you think about it, that's actually, if they were to continue that joke in season two because of the Titan sticks around, that'd be awesome. Yeah. All right. Next one. Uh, let's see. First contact or first Titan contact. Dude, that image of Boiler pointing to Titan. That is literally my, that was my face. That was my face. Such a nerdy looking face pointing. Yes. And they basically said, (laughs) uh, the first uh, Titan contact while Titan was mentioned in nemesis, it was never shown. However, there were series of novels featuring Riker and Troy set on the USS Titan. Uh, those did feature artwork and ships based on fan design contests. You can even buy a model of the Titan from Eagle Moss. Lower Decks was the first time the ship has been seen in canon. All right. Next episode or next uh, reference, I should say. Sorry. Is the faith of the beard. Sirtis and Franks returned earlier this year to, to guest star in a live action series, Star Trek Picard, which was a fan favorite of the season. Their last Trek appearance together was a controversial series finale where they visited a holodeck program to pick, uh, Oh, controversial series finale of the Star Trek enterprise. These are the voyages where they visited a holodeck program depicting the crew of the NX zero one. Uh, no small parts referred to this along with the enterprise controversial, uh, controversial theme song. Where will my heart take me when lower decks Riker said, I was watching the first enterprise on the holodeck, you know, Archer and those guys, what a story. Those guys had a long road getting from there to here. And yes, we did mention that. And then TNG is real. There are some mentions of events and characters from the star Trek Next Generation Cerritos crew member, Lieutenant Stephen Levy, was re- uh, revealed to be a conspiracy theorist who believed that Wolf 359 was an inside job, referring to the Battle of Wolf 359 between the Borg and the Federation from the episode The Best of Both Worlds. Levy also claimed that changelings aren't real and the Dominion War didn't happen. 
about that race that controls the Dominion and the war with them depicted in Star Trek Deep Space Nine. It was mentioned that the USS Cerritos celebrates Captain Freeman. Yeah, Day. all right. Yeah, that was kind of silly. Yeah, that one. That one. Yeah. That one's a little silly. All right. So what else we have left? One more. One more good one. Let's see. Oh, Badgie as well. I mean, thank God for Badgie. Oh, thank returning. God for Badgie. I'm so yeah. glad he had a part to play. Yet again, consistency connecting that to Rutherford. That yes. was good. Dude, if they, okay, if they make any merchandise for Lower Decks, Badgie's got to be a part of it, right? Oh, he has to be. He Give me a be. Badgie doll. I want a fucking Badgie <laughs> doll. And I want it to, to, to say psychotic things to me. I really want oh, it to man. be that character, dude. I, okay. I, I agree. I agree with that. All right, Dave, let's move into our final thoughts and our RMD score. Do you want to go first? Oh, sure. Okay, so my final RMD score, I'm going to do it. This particular episode of Lower Decks is 100. It's 100. It does everything that it needs to do as not just the season finale, but as a episode of Star Trek. After this, I'm really, really psyched for season two of Lower Decks. I want to actually see more of this crew. I'm interested where they're going to go. You know, what are they going to do with Boimler? Boimler is now on the Titan. I know. So, and Mariner has lost her mind and left like billions and billions of messages on his, uh, on his, uh, holopad, which is hilarious. And so, so what are your final thoughts though? Like my final thoughts review time, Dave, come on, not recap time. I really think that, in particularly in this episode, the writing that Mike McMahon Dude, did. Every time you're excited about something, I have to kind of I have to be like, bring me in. Yeah, I'm like come on, come on. <laughs> lasso me in. <laughs> but particularly in this episode, Mike McMahon showed his competency as a writer. Something yeah. that he should that anybody in the Star Trek writing room should be able to do, but it seems to be difficult. Yeah, but he takes something that. Up to this point, we've been saying, oh, it's really difficult for writers to get writing a Star Trek series, but he's able to do it within 20 minutes. Yep. That should, that, that absolutely with this particular episode gives me full confidence in what he's going to bring to Star Trek. Absolutely. And I can't say anything else besides like blowing him right now and getting on my hands and oh, knees. Oh, wow, David, <laughs> inappropriate. So what's your RMD score? 100. It's a 100. Did, did you say that already? Yeah, I already Oh, did. wow, Dave. I opened up with 100. That. I opened up and basically, you know, gave him the money shot right away. Oh, Jesus. He should, <laughs> you're supposed to get, he's supposed to give you the money shot. That's how it works. <laughs> All right, Dave. So. Yeah, this is a strong episode of Star Trek. It's so much fun. This ended up being the show I wanted. I have not been able to say that about anything recently when it comes to any fandom or TV show. Like, this is what I wanted. Yeah. I wanted a show like, okay, it's a cartoon. Fine. It's going to be funny. It's going to be silly. It's going to be for fun, but also give us something. Give us something else as well. Give us some substance. Give us some Star Trek. Don't just put the name. Don't just slap the the logo on and say Star Trek. Prove to us that it deserves that name. And Mike McMahon did just that. 
this is some of the best Star Trek we've had in years. If not, I, let me rephrase that. There is an argument to be made that this is probably some of, not probably is the best Trek of the Kurtzman era because it's not just fun. It's filled with optimism. There's a lot of heart. There are, there is consistency with the episodes, with the overarching storyline or the myth arc. Each character arcs all came to an end, uh, all tied together through a, a single through line. Mike McMahon knows how to write. Yeah. He knows how to lead as well as a showrunner. So I'm going to give this a 98%. Don't know if I can give it a hundred just because <laughs> I don't give a lot of things a hundred. But the thing is, and is I don't want to give it a 99 because I'm sure there's some things in there that perhaps me being a Star Trek fan uh, and being overly excited in a giddy way. Maybe I, I, I didn't notice some imperfections. So I'm taking away percent for that. So 98% Dave. Okay. All right. I can, I can understand, especially you but, bringing up the fact that as a fan, it is very easy for us to get blinded by our fandom. Right. And listen, as a, as a show, this gets a 99% because that's the average. So I think, I think that's pretty good. Pretty good. Yeah. All right. This does take us to the end of our show. We do not have time to get into the season two news. I wanted to, but we'll have to cover it during a Patreon bonus show probably next week sometime. So if you guys want to get in on that and listen to that, head over to patreon.com slash Rainman digital and pledge $3. If you want the behind the scenes pre-shows and if you want additional star Trek shows, full episode discussions, pledge $5. Help us out and help yourself out. Patreon.com slash Rainman digital. Thank you, David. Thank you. Live long and prosper. I couldn't help but notice your pain. My pain? It runs deep. Share it with me. End simulation.